This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Dr. John Newton, Chief Economist of the American Farm Bureau. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Farm Journal's Trust in Food. Trust in Food, sharing the message of conservation, sustainability, and stewardship, and launching America's Conservation Ag Movement July 26th in Washington, D.C. Learn more at trustinfood.com. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with AFBF's John Newton next. At Farm Journal's Trust in Food, we had an idea. Let's amp up the message of conservation, sustainability, and stewardship to farmers and ranchers all across the nation. And while we're doing that, let's spread the news of how ag is changing to the millions of Americans who visit D.C.'s National Mall. Pretty soon, that idea took root, grew into something real, and on Friday, July 26th, we're going to unveil it for all. Please join us for the launch of America's Conservation Ag Movement and learn how we're helping farmers and ranchers make more sustainable and profitable business decisions. The day will also bring you the opportunity to explore the brand new outdoor tribute to American agriculture on the National Mall and hear a panel of experts discuss issues and solutions that just might inspire you to plant your own seed of action. Learn more. Visit TrustInFood.com today. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. No one knows the cyclical nature of farm income better than the nation's farmers and ranchers. But Dr. John Newton, chief economist of the American Farm Bureau, says 2018 brought a pendulum swing in the ag economy that's never been seen before. The headwinds that we faced on the trade front the last two years were certainly very difficult to predict. Uh, it's taken billions off the table in terms of exports for some of our commodities, uh, $10 billion in sales less to China in 2018. Uh, they've completely stopped buying many of our products now in 2019. Uh, that's created some challenges. And then the weather event that we find ourselves in now, the, the frequency of natural disasters, having to do two ad hoc disaster bills, having to do two ad hoc trade aid payments, we haven't been in this kind of territory in quite a while. You spent time working and developing the 14 Farm Bill, and then uh, with some minor changes, we introduced the 2018 Farm Bill. But yet, as we look at the challenges that producers faced in 2018, uh, John, where would they have been without that market facilitation program payment and some of the ad hoc money that came from Washington to help? Well, if we just look at where net farm income in 2018 was, net farm income, USDA's Economic Research Service, had it at about $63 billion. And if we adjust that for inflation, uh, it was a pretty low level of net farm income, coming off the back of a 2016 of low farm income and other years since 2014 since incomes declined. But if we take those trade aid payments, we take the disaster aid payments, we take Farm Bill and all those other uh, assistance payments that farmers receive, all the government payments off the table, uh, net farm income in 2018 was $49 billion. That's among the lowest 20%, uh, going back nearly 90 years. So it's, uh, I think that's, that's uh, pretty telling in terms of how tough the farm economy was in uh, without those payments. I note that not too many weeks ago, it was the National Farmers Union and the American Farm Bureau Federation teaming together to talk about uh, a need for change in the bankruptcy uh, for U.S. agriculture, a bankruptcy bill, raising the Chapter 12 level from $4 billion to $10 billion. Is this as an anticipation of things to come, or is this just a stale law that needs to be adjusted for the economics of the day? 
I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, it is certainly a stale law. We haven't looked at it in over a decade. That was the last time that that the, the bankruptcy uh, limits were, were adjusted uh, up to where we stand today, about 4.2 in inflation-adjusted dollars. So it's a little stale. Uh, and at the same time, I think it's a reflection of the rising bankruptcy rates we're seeing across farm country uh, in, in some areas. Uh, we had bankruptcy levels at decade highs. Uh, Wisconsin, for example, in 2018 had 49 bankruptcies, and that's the highest level in over a decade, I think reflective of, of the tough times in the dairy industry. Uh, I think to put that into perspective, it's, you know, when we had 498 bankruptcies in 2018, uh, that pales in comparison to 5,000 bankruptcies uh, a year that we experienced uh, in the 80s. But But certainly the bankruptcy numbers are going in the wrong direction in some parts of the country, and I think that reflects uh, a really tough financial position that, that many farmers uh, may find themselves in, heavily leveraged with low commodity prices. How would an increase to $10 million help to survive some of these operations? You know, that's a great question. I think, you know, first of all, I think it's important for folks to understand 99% of farms in the United States are, are family farms, and uh, and uh, for a lot of a lot of those farms, uh, I think a large majority of them, they're below that $4 million uh, threshold in terms of, of the debt liability on Chapter 12. Uh, but you've got about 12% of, of agricultural production uh, that comes from farms that, that has debt levels above that $4.2 million level. And when you think about what happens to those type of operations, uh, if, if they were to go out of business, what that does to those rural communities, uh, these are large uh, farm operations with a lot of investments, and so I think it's real important to recognize the modern credit needs of agriculture and 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 update those bankruptcy rules. But I would have said this about 2018, and I definitely would say it about 2019, that this is a year where producers really needed to have a good season. They needed to turn some profits for the overall health of their operation. Now, given the weather circumstances that we're in and the trade difficulties that are still ongoing, John, I was told with the House Agriculture Committee Chair Colin Peterson that he fears what the winter of 19 could bring. Well, you're exactly right. I think a lot of folks needed to to turn a profit uh, this year after several years of burning through equity. Uh, many farmers may have used some of their existing le- uh, equity to, to get operating loans, uh, so rolling some of their, their short-term uh, debt into long-term debt. And so we were really looking at, you know, 18 and 19, thinking about the export markets and the opportunities uh, that were available there. And now you add in the weather situation. Uh, for folks that were fortunate enough that Mother Nature gave them the window they needed to get a crop in the ground, uh, where commodity prices have moved over the last three weeks, adding a dollar in both corn and soybeans, uh, that could uh, provide some value back to that operation. Uh, but there's so much uncertainty now on what prevent plant's going to look like, what the trade aid payments are going to look like, uh, and we still don't know what the crop uh, size is going to be. USDA recently up- updated that. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty uh, out there today that makes it very, very difficult to try to estimate what farm income is going to be in, in 2019. Well, they're still writing the regs for the 18 Farm Bill. We have a disaster bill that has come through Congress and has been signed by the president. And also we have the administration talking about another round of market facilitation program assistance uh, to help producers. So the USDA said that they didn't want to influence planting, but yet even the limited information that they've offered, obviously producers are thinking about this as they're trying to still get crops seeded between rains. 
I think we had two different things happen. We we had the the trade uh, program that was announced that uh, indicated that you needed to have a crop in 2019 to be eligible for those program payments. Uh, at the same time, we had uh, you know historic delays in planting uh, across the country, and, and then the disaster package. Many were anticipating uh, an enhancement to prevent plant. So you had market signals on one hand. Uh, signaling to growers to put a crop in the ground uh, by any means necessary. And then you had market signals that said, well, maybe not. Uh, maybe prevent plants the way to go. So I think it, it did create some uncertainty. And I think the timing of it is interesting. When the administration first began considering the trade aid payments, I don't think they had a, a full handle on the historic delays of planting that were ahead of us. And, and how could they? Uh, at that point in time, know what was to come over the next two to three weeks. And so you really had a perfect storm of two assistance packages being announced at a time when we had 100 million acres left still to plant of corn and soybeans. Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue even offering some additional information over the past week. Uh, Doc, what is known now, and what are the things that, from your perspective, growers in the country really need to know now? Coming out of the disaster package, there was a lot of interest in prevent plant rumors that potentially uh, prevent plant could be paid up to 90% of the value of the crop. Uh, uninsured acres could get up to 70% of the value of the crop. And I think what the secretaries pointed out is, is that the disaster package allocates $3 billion for farm disaster aid. And that $3 billion needs to cover prevent plant, it needs to cover crops in storage, needs to cover the two devastating hurricanes we had across the southeast, needs to cover volcanic eruption, needs to cover wildfires. And I think what they pointed out is that money is going to be stretched pretty thin. Uh, there may be areas and declared disaster areas that get a prevent plant enhancement, but certainly there aren't enough dollars for everybody to get uh, a sweetener on their prevent plant uh, and still take care of all the farmers that, that were devastated by these other disasters. Uh, I'll add, uh, Jeff, that we were working on that disaster package for quite a while. Uh, and the $3 billion number that, that we ultimately ended up with was something that has been fixed. It was a fixed assistance level, and then we came in and added prevent plant later. So it only spread those dollars even thinner. So for the producer who is caught with high cash rent with other expenses, certainly that they are one of those that might not have a good equity of position. Yes, these are assistance, but it's not complete, and I fear what it means for the overall life of their operation. Uh, it's certainly not going to make anybody whole, but but we knew what the prevent plant rules have been. Uh, it's part of crop insurance, and, and one of the things that's important for us to consider and think about in the farm policy arena is, is we don't modify crop insurance provisions on an ad hoc basis. Uh, a good example of that is last year we had a lot of rains in parts of the country during harvest, uh, reduced the quality uh, of, of the product, the soybeans that were harvested, uh, but because we weren't exporting any soybeans, the quality discounts uh, across the country were pretty high, and they were higher than what the crop insurance would reflect. But we don't go adjusting the RP policies on crop insurance because of a trade uncertainty and late rains. And so you have to be careful to protect the actuarial integrity of crop insurance 
And so, yes, I know people won't be made whole, but, but crop insurance was never designed to be a windfall. The market facilitation program that is being derived by the administration, if we look at the first one, uh, obviously there was one commodity that benefited more than others, and there were some states that benefited a lot more than others. It seems that for MFP2, the administration is looking at spreading those dollars over a broader area. What does that mean for the bottom line? Well, I think the reason and the motivation for that was to try to not uh, influence planting decisions. If if they had said we're going to make a $2 per bushel payment on soybeans, we would have been fence row to fence row soybeans. Uh, but but I think by announcing a county-level payment rate and including all of the covered commodities and making those eligible for MFP2 payments, you take the the distortion of plantings, uh, away with respect to a specific crop, but what you do, you're unable to take away is, is the incentive to plant and maybe mud in a crop if, if you were faced with some adverse weather. We had some commodities in the first round of uh, MFP that were completely left off the table that suffered tremendously. I think of the tree nut producers and others in California and also in your home state of Kentucky, tobacco was left completely without. You know, I had an opportunity to visit with North Carolina Farm Bureau members, and the issue of tobacco was critical to those folks because they, they have contracts to grow the product, and the Chinese came in and said, we're no longer going to honor those contracts. And what you see in 2019, uh, through the first four months of the year, tobacco exports to China are, are a whopping zero, uh, down $100 million uh, compared to 2018. We had the opportunity to find some other buyers out there uh, but the fact that tobacco is eligible for federal crop insurance but was left off uh, the trade assistance package uh, really leaves those farm families behind. John, the American Farm Bureau has always been about free market, strongly encouraging the uh, the freedom to farm legislation, getting farmers in tune with uh, satisfying global markets and, and uh, minimizing government uh, in, involvement. But as late, Farm Bureau has been supportive of some of the payments that have come along and some of the programs that come along. Is there a philosophy change at Farm Bureau? Absolutely not. I, I think if you talk to a Farm Bureau member uh, across the country, what they're going to tell you is they want trade and not aid. I think the Farm Bureaus have, have made critical investments to build those markets. We have Farm Bureaus that uh, lead trade missions around the world to, to get new customers, to facilitate and improve uh, our relationships and, and demonstrate our reliability around the world. We want to trade. Uh, we have a surplus of products uh, in the United States. We're incredibly good at producing a crop and caring for animals. Uh, we, you know, break records in, in terms of production. We know the value and the future of agriculture uh, is in the export market. Uh, but as we talked about earlier, uh, we've also got to think about the viability of the farm, viability of the family operation. The equity's been eroded. Debt's record high. Net farm income's fallen 50% from 2000. 14. Uh, so these assistance payments, they're not going to make anybody whole uh, at all, but they certainly help folks meet their immediate financial needs uh, while we work for the administration uh, to rebalance and, and enhance our trading opportunities. When you and I talked before we began the interview, you suggested that uh, the export market is not going to be the same. How much is riding now in U.S. agriculture, from your opinion, on establishing a new relationship with China, and getting the USMCA approved through our government and of our two neighbors? I think USMCA is, is critical to get across the finish line. I think uh, you know that demonstrates that we can get a deal done. 
uh, that'll create opportunities for us to to then start negotiating with with other countries around the world uh, because they know that the administration can get something done and get it through Congress. Uh, but with respect to China, I mean, there's there's a couple things. Let's say we we restored trading relations tomorrow and everything was business as usual. Uh, they've had a devastating African swine fever uh, outbreak, and so their their demand for uh, soybeans, their their crushing facilities, uh, it's not going to be the same for some time. Now they'll demand uh, you know alternative protein products after they work through their stocks of pork that they have. Uh, maybe they'll make investments in in other types of livestock, uh, perhaps poultry. Uh, but but so there's uh, two different things, like two different tracks happening that are going to change fundamentally their their demand for some time. So uh, I think as farmers and ranchers, we're used to adapting, uh, and we can adapt to market signals. And if trade relations are restored, I know that American farmers and ranchers will be uh, ready and willing to supply whatever the, whatever products they need. Certainly there are a few commodities that have suffered as much as dairy, certainly over the past several months. And I thought it very unfair, but uh, it was still an opinion. And the title of the opinion article was, The Best Thing That Government Can Do For Dairy Farmers Is Get Them Out Of The Dairy Business. Is the new program that farmers now can sign up for, is it enough and from your perspective and from the work that you're doing with American Farm Bureau and others in the industry, what needs to be done? Well, I, one of the things I think that the dairy industry has today uh, relative to the past, uh, they've got the best safety nets that they've ever had in the industry. And I think one of that, one component of that is the new DMC coverage program uh, greatly enhanced the safety net protection for uh, small to medium-sized dairy operations with a revenue or a margin guarantee of $475,000 on 5 million pounds of milk. So uh, a significant improvement there. But I think the the greatest enhancement to dairy risk management uh, was what we did in the Bipartisan Budget Act of 2018, removing the $20 million cap on livestock uh, insurance is going to be uh, you know what we look back on twenty years and twenty years from now and say that was the that was the moment for livestock insurance policies to really get out and uh, invest in the resources needed to develop those policies and we did that at American Farm Bureau we developed a dairy revenue protection insurance for dairy farmers we've sold uh, nearly thirty billion pounds uh, of of insurance uh, to dairy farmers and and it's my estimation this is one of the most successful. 508H products that have ever been developed, and that's because uh, we were able to remove the cap on livestock insurance. So dairy have the, has the best risk management tools they've had ever. Is the U.S. dairy program, though, transparent and resilient enough to have our producers actively and competitively producing for the market? Now you've asked the million-dollar question, and, and I think that's what what our members in January uh, asked us to think about, and our our voting delegates uh, asked the Farm Bureau Board of Directors to convene a, a Farm Bureau led working group to to look at ways to modernize uh, milk pricing in the United States. Uh, we've got an antiquated system of milk pricing, 80 years old is when our milk pricing regulations and pooling regulations uh, were were ultimately developed, and and we've taken a look at them throughout the years. Uh, but we've got a free market that's trying to operate on top of a regulated market, and that creates some unintended consequences. Our members are looking at that, and we're trying to think about how we position the U.S. dairy industry uh, to be innovative, to be risk takers, uh, and ultimately prosper uh, in the years to come. 
How's your 2019 and into 20 crystal ball look right now, John? Well, if I had a crystal ball three weeks ago, it would have been wrong because no one would have projected the delayed historic plantings that we have this year. I think one of the things that's certainly going to happen is uh, we're going to work through those corn uh, stock levels. And and the projections now with prevent plant and a lower yield, uh, we're looking at a stocks-to-use ratio of at or below 10%. Uh, in 2019 based on the current expectations. So uh, that's certainly going to provide a, you know, a boost to, to corn prices. Uh, let's wait and see what the soybean balance sheet looks like. If, if we can restore uh, relations with China, they come in and, and help relieve some of those stock levels on soybeans. That could provide uh, a price boost. So there are opportunities, and I think what's important for farmers to, to integrate into their uh, strategy, their marketing strategy, is, is risk management and taking advantage of these opportunities when they present themselves uh, to try to lock in a profit. And so I don't have a crystal ball for 2019 or 2020, but farmers need to be paying attention all the time because these opportunities do present themselves. Well, our guest on this edition of Open Mic is Dr. John Newton, who is the chief economist of the American Farm Bureau Federation. And, Doc, I know you've been uh, listening to our program, and you know that it is tradition that the guest gets the last word. So take us home. Well, I, I can't say anything more than how important it is for us to get the USMCA uh, across the finish line. We we need these trade agreements. We need to show that we can get a deal done. Uh, if we can't get this done and through this Congress, uh, it, we're going to be in a world of hurt in the farm economy. Uh, we need agriculture to, to have strong trading relationships around the world. We need to invest in the, in the monies to find new customers. And then we need to make uh, very, very significant investments in agricultural research. Uh, we need to develop the, the technologies we need to, to continue to raise the best, best crops, best livestock in this changing climate. And, and I think we're getting outspent uh, by an order of magnitude by foreign governments around the world uh, investing in those technologies. So we need to do a lot more. Uh, and, and I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to be on the show with you today, Jeff. Our thanks to American Farm Bureau's John Newton, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Farm Journal's Trust in Food. Trust in Food, sharing the message of conservation, sustainability, and stewardship. Learn more at trustinfood.com. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.